Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Zach Korn. Zach manages digital advertising for brands and realtors on BuzzBuzz Home, North America's largest listing of all new construction homes. He's formerly worked in condo sales centers and behind the scenes in Toronto real estate. As an experienced marketer and salesperson, he understands what incentives buyers, realtors, and developers respond to. He's passionate about the real estate industry because of its impact on human happiness and quality of life. His interest in how the real estate market works started early, being raised by a real estate lawyer and an architect. In my interview with Zach, we discuss how to come out ahead when buying a pre-construction condo, ways to protect yourself as a buyer, and purchasing a condo as an investment. Without further ado, here's my interview with Zach Korn. Hi, Zach. How are you doing today? Thanks so much for being on the podcast. I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on, Sean. Oh, my pleasure. So I wanted to start off with a question that I've been hearing a lot. It's with the high cost of housing in cities like Toronto, Vancouver, millennials are starting to question whether home ownership makes sense for them. Why do you think home ownership still is a good investment for the younger generation? Thanks, Sean. That's a, that's a great question. So this is a definite concern. And obviously, I have a lot of people in my life that are in the same boat. And they're really questioning, one, whether or not it's possible, and two, whether or not it's not it's a good idea to really work and strive for. And the short answer is, yes, it's a good idea and a good investment, especially in major cities like Toronto, Vancouver, and even Hamilton, Quebec City. Mainly because you got to look at the big picture of the trend of, is the demand for where you're possibly going to buy a house like Toronto and Vancouver going to go up or down over time. And we all know that over the last few decades, there's been a major trend all over the world of people moving to major metropolitan centers, moving to cities, medium and large, to live. And of course, those people are going to need to buy property. So the fact is that I feel confident as a homeowner of my property going up in a value enough that it's definitely going to be able to compensate me for the early on investment and the cost of ownership of a condo or a home is definitely lower than rent, especially with all the stories of people's rents going up 10, 20, even 50% year over year. You know, there's a oh, the old investing quote from Mark Twain, buy land, they're not making any more. And that's still true. If you, have a con- if you have a condo in a busy downtown Toronto area, the space around it may have been completely taken up. So you now have part of a monopoly on that chunk of very, very attractive land. 
That's a great answer and a great quote as well. I definitely think real estate's a good investment. As they say, there are 125,000 people coming to the GTA every year and people need a place to live. So I think, uh, you know, at least the prices aren't at New York City or Paris level, but uh, as they like to say, might as well get in at today's prices rather than the prices in five years time. Definitely right. Great. So buying a pre-construction condo is a lot different than purchasing a resale condo. Talk about some of the key differences between the two. All right. So uh, for background on me, I've wor I worked both for an online real estate listing company for new construction developments, Buzz Buzz Home, and I've done work with individual new construction developers and helping them in their sales centers and help them on the back end, you know, clear units. So the, the two main things I can say are different are time and uncertainty. So for time, if you're buying a single family home, new construction before it's even started to build, you might be looking at two years plus before you move in. And if you're buying a high rise condo, from the time you sign the paperwork and start signing deposit checks, you may have five to seven years before you actually spend your first night in the unit. So what you're looking at is parking your money, parking your deposit money, which in Toronto and most markets is about 20% of the total price. You're giving that to the developer within a few months and you're not going to be able to use that property for a few years. So that's the main thing as opposed to resale property where you could sign a deal and move in in as early as 30 to 60 days. So you're able to make use of it right away. The second part is uncertainty. So a few things involved in that is that you may have a sales center that may or may not be, they may have a model suite, a model unit in the sales center that may be exactly your unit or maybe something completely a different size. So you're not able to really walk in and get the feel of a place like you would go on a, a viewing with a realtor and walk around a condo, walk around a house and really feel what the space is going to be like. And the fact that the finishes, what the flooring's made out of, you know, the countertops, may not be the exact same materials that you see in a sales center, whereas if you're moving into a resale condo or a real sale home, you can feel and touch and experience every part of the home and get everything inspected before you even move in. So really though, that's the main thing. If you're willing to park your money at a good rate, uh, buying a condo and then move in five years later, if you have the ability and the financial ability to do that, if you can get the right price, it is a very smart move. That's a great answer. And I just wanted to elaborate on the point of price. When developers are selling these properties and you're not going to move in for a few years, I'm just curious in terms of how they price them. Do they kind of price them at today's real estate prices or do they kind of price it as if prices have gone up for like three or four years? I'm just curious how that works. Right. So they price them at today's value is, is the short answer. I mean, the fact is that they have to stay competitive, one, with each other, with other new developers, and they have to stay competitive with other condos on the market. Now, obviously, they can charge a bit of a premium because it's new floors and new countertops. Not everything's new in it. You're the first person to live there, just like you price a new car. But the fact is that the new condo, the new home developers, know that all of their clients can go literally around the corner and buy a unit in a condo that's already built on resale. So if they price their units, you know, based on what they think property value is going to be in five years, everyone would just flood the resale market and they'd have a, a very hard time uh, selling the a number of units they need to. Okay. Thanks for clarifying that. I was always curious how that works. 
Uh, so yeah, the next question is, there seems to be a lot of mystery surrounding the sales process of pre-construction condos. Walk us through the process. What can you do as a buyer to make sure you're treated fairly? All right, so the standard process is a buyer will walk into a sales center, they will talk to one of the developer's representatives, get the information they need, and eventually they'll sit down, sign paperwork that they are going to buy the unit, and then the deal will clear and they'll do their deposits. What happens around that sales process is a little less well-known, and for developers in a lot of areas, they like to keep it that way. Uh, the fact is that if you don't know what the last person bought a unit of the same size for, then the developer can charge you a higher rate if they choose. So in terms of the sales process of pre-construction, the general scheme is that prices will go up the fewer units are left. So the first units that are sold, the first 10, 20% of units are gonna be sold at the lowest price possible. And then prices will increase up until if you buy a new construction condo unit after it's been completed and ready to move in, you will undoubtedly pay the highest price, the highest price per square foot of anyone that's bought in that building. Um, and the most important thing for buyers in Toronto, Vancouver, New York, a lot of major centers is when there's a multi-unit project, the developer may sell anywhere from five to 20% of the units before they even open the open house sales center in pre-sales, agent pre-sales, family and friends events. And one of the most important things for getting the best possible price is to find a way in, which is usually through an agent that has a relationship with the developer and can help get you access. And Mr. Curious, I've seen some of those news stories about people lining up around the block to get into new condo buildings. Can you talk a bit about that at all? Do you have any experience in that? Mm -hmm. So by profession and training, I am a marketer. And that is what marketers dream about at night. <laughs> is that you get is the iPhone, iPhone 2, iPhone 3 launch events where people are lined up all around the country to get your product and willing to pay whatever you ask. Um, so, I mean, this is just a fact. You know, the, there's a lot of criticism thrown at developers for these kind of, you could say, underhanded tactics or keeping things less transparent. But the fact is that they're just playing the human behavioral psychology game. Um, if you walk into a sales center and none of the units have sold left, what humans naturally do is say, if there's no one in the sales center and no one's bought yet, that there must be something wrong, uh, this is a bad development, and you'd walk away when you, in that case, could get the best price of anyone in that building. Uh, that is exactly what developers want, is to be able to create buzz, whether real or artificial, because demand is going to go up. It's one of those things that if you see a lot of people are interested in a thing, then you will want it even more. And because demand is so high, they're able to uh, increase prices. It's just the standard demand versus supply. If you have a limited supply and are able to spike demand, you're able to charge a higher price. Well, that makes sense. Uh, that's a great way to look at it. So yeah, they, they say the three most important factors when buying real estate, of course, are location, location, location. I've heard it so many times, but what are some other factors that matter for buyers of condos? So one thing you can look into, and I know a lot of buyers know this, is the, is the reputation of the builder. So there is a definite difference between buying from a builder that is brand new and they may have only done single family homes and this is their first condo 
you know, that's an indication that they may be great at building condo, uh, this condo. However, they may be experiencing problems that come up with building condo towers for the first time, which may delay closing, may delay construction. So that's something to keep in mind. When you're looking at reputation of builders, you can look at all the regular review sites around. And one caveat I'll throw in is that uh, a lot of people on the internet are very opinionated. It's not, it's not a new fact for anyone. And every builder, even the builders with the highest, most sterling rep reputations that always do the right thing and are amazing business people, they still have a lot of negative reviews out there on the internet, which makes it a little harder. But generally what you'd want to do is see what developers have testimonials um, on third-party websites that say that the experience was good, buying was, they were helpful with the buying process, the building closed on time, and the unit operated like they wanted. And the fact is there's going to be some people that just have a freak accident of uh, the pipes bursting or the AC line dripping. Um, that's always going to happen. You know, there's always slight mix-ups, but if that happens a few times in a 3,000 unit development, that's pretty good. Um, the second thing, it's related to location, but walk score. So walk score is, one, is a score that's given by a third party for how accessible the unit is by foot um, to everything that you would need on you know, a monthly basis, whether it's grocery stores, theaters, uh, pharmacists, and that's a number that is commonly advertised on many uh, development and agent websites because it's really highly prized. And especially for people that are having kids, obviously a lot of them would like to be in a neighborhood where maybe their kids could grow up with other, other kids down the street and they can walk, uh, you know, walk down to a park with them and they don't have to load kids in the car every time they want to go to a park. Now that makes a lot of sense. I've seen the walk score on uh, listed on many condo websites. I just didn't really understand it. So thanks for shedding some light on that. So on the topics of on the topic of buying condos, um, what are some common mistakes you see new condo buyers making, and how can those be avoided? Um, so this may seem a little bit counterintuitive, but especially in new construction. One of the things I've seen, uh, you know, bite buyers in the behind is taking too long to shop around and not snatching up deals in buildings when they get the first opportunity. So this is not to say that the first building you see in the first sales center you go into, you should buy. However, like I mentioned, when there are these, say, VIP sales events or there are, you know, maybe the builder is selling those first 10% of units, the prices are as low as they're ever going to be. And I've worked in condo sales center where I've seen the same person two or three or four times on different occasions, different days, different weekends, who have literally come back in and said, oh, we're still interested, we're still shopping around, um, but we're still interested in unit so-and-so. And we have to tell them that you know, the price that we gave them three weeks ago has now gone up by, uh, you know, it's now gone from $400,000 to 410, 20, 30, $440,000 just because the developer has less supply uh, and the prices are going to go up. And leading wow. into that, someone that can help you navigate that is, I really think a lot of buyers, especially in new construction, should be working with an agent, especially if they've never dealt with this before. Um, and again, my experience working in condo sales centers that there are certain questions that an agent can ask, amendments to the contract, uh, uh, for example, in Ontario, capping development levies is a thing that could save a buyer a few thousand to ten or fifteen thousand dollars off of closing costs. 
And for anyone out there that's considering whether to buy by themselves or with an agent, they should know that gen the general practice in North America is that the developer will pay the agent you know, a percentage of the buying price. So the buyer has little to no cost to deal with agents. The only caveat I have to mention is there are certain developers for one reason or another that do not cooperate with agents. And if you see the developer doesn't cooperate with agents, that means that the developer will not pay a buyer's representative any commission. So the reason it's important for you, know, you to know that as a buyer, if you are working with an agent or if you choose to work with an agent, is the fact that your agent may or may not take you to see certain buildings because then they know the developer you know, won't pay them any commission. And it's fair because if they don't pay them any commission, then they're pretty much working for you for free. Um, it's a one, down, one major downside of working with a real estate agent is that you may have access to a, smaller, uh, a slightly smaller pool of units just because certain units aren't going to uh, pay your buyer representative. But especially if you can find a buyer representative who can get you in on those VIP prices, I would definitely go for it. Last thing about common mistake condo buyers make is it's something a little more meta, something a little bigger. It's not thinking about the quality of life and the lifestyle that they really want. So there are some people that for one reason or another um, see a really good unit with really good amenities in a downtown core area and they decide that they want to go with that because they like the fact that there's a gym and a spa and maybe some great amenities and a rooftop deck. However, this may be a person or a couple that prefers living in a place with a little more green space. They like living in a neighborhood where they can walk to local family-run restaurants and so, and so on. Uh, so the, a person like that, if they buy in a downtown core that's uh, area that's pretty much all concrete and is covered with uh, you know, chain restaurants, they may not actually improve their quality of life by buying. And the same thing goes vice versa. If you want a house with a backyard, but you don't barbecue, you don't garden, you have really no purpose for it, and that results in you having an hour and a half commute to work and back each way, that can also severely impact your quality of life. So that's something I really think buyers should consider when they're weighing neighborhoods. It's not just pricing, not just amenities, but really how they want to live their lives in their new You've made some really great points, Zach. I just wanted to touch on one of the points that you had made uh, in terms of working with a real estate agent. I'm just curious, how open are developers to kind of letting the realtor make suggestions to changes to the contract? Like you mentioned capping development levies and fees. Like, um, I mean, I guess you could have a real estate lawyer look at it as well, but how, uh, I guess, uh, flexible do you find developer, developers are in changing the contract? Are they pretty rigid or does it really depend on the developer you're dealing with? So there's certain things like uh, development levies or any kind of standard incentive packages. So some, when, the, when the market isn't red hot, when it's a buyer's market, you know, developers for a period of time will maybe offer five or 10 or $15,000 in free upgrades to the unit. So marble countertops, uh, you know, pot lighting, whatever it might be. So getting standard things like that, most developers are flexible on that. If the, if the agent asks, you get that $10,000. If you or the agent don't ask, you miss out on that $10,000 incentive of free upgrades, which is, again, why you want someone that can tell you the right questions to ask. Um, but in terms of other flexibility, it really depends on the developer and the market, right? 
if the developer is talking to you, waiting to talk to 10 more people that maybe are going to buy that unit, they really don't have an incentive to give you anything extra. Um, but if it's a buyer's market, if the developer is having trouble moving the number of units they need to to get financing to build the project, then having an agent knowing that uh, they see maybe only 30% of the units are sold, the agent should know to push a little bit to see, can we get more incentives? Can we get a smaller cap on those levies? Can we get something else thrown in for free? Um, or can we get a reduction in price in, in some more extreme cases? But really, certain developers have the reputation of trying to squeeze every penny they can out of buyers using cheap materials and so on. Uh, but most developers are more in the middle, that they're just an agent of the marketplace, they build solid homes, and they need to be you know, compensated fairly for it. This is very fascinating. Uh, and I just want to segue to my next question. Now, we've seen a number of high-profile condo project cancellations over the last several months, including one in Vaughan near the new TTC subway stop there. Um, you kind of touched on it earlier, but what are some things that buyers can do to protect themselves from this happening? And, and what kind of recourse can they have if, if the situation happens to them where they you know, are waiting for a condo to be built to be built and maybe three years down the line, the project gets canceled. Uh, it must be very frustrating to have to just get back your deposit if that, and then have to buy at today's prices when you've had your deposit tied up for three or four years. Yeah. So this is, this is generally the biggest concern for buyers um, in most parts of Ontario and, and the world when it comes to new construction. And the fact is that your recourse is spelled out in law and outside of that, uh, outside of the legal framework that's set up for what you can do. The fact is that there's very little you can do except for leaving angry reviews on developers' websites, which is a factor that developers weigh because they know if they now cancel a project, they're going to you know, just be inundated with bad press. Um, so in Ontario, there's the Tarion Warranty Corporation, and they're the organization that's responsible for protecting buyers against uh, things like this. And they've gotten some, um, they've come under some scrutiny because, for taking developer sides in certain cases. But generally, the purpose of them is to be out there to be able to protect you. So two things to note is one, if you look at the number of units compared to the the total units that have been built in Ontario, you know, in the last 10 years, the number of units that have been canceled is a very, very small number. So this is not a major, very likely risk, uh, especially if the market stays at stable or grows. Um, but it is something to keep in mind. Um, and the second thing is that Tarion in Ontario, and there's many organizations like this in regions around the world, has specific dates set out in the contract of if the developer is going to decide to cancel the development of this unit, they must inform you by X date from today. So that may be uh, you know, a certain period of time. And that prevents the developer from just the, the, the worst case scenario of just keeping your money for five or 10 years, giving you no information and then canceling the project that far down the line. So there is protection of there is a maximum time period that the developer can take before they decide to cancel the project. Um, once you get once the project gets canceled, you really are entitled to whatever Tarion or legal uh, system in your region uh, tells you you're entitled to. And a lot of times it's that you get your initial deposit back, uh, you get 100% of the deposit back, 
with no interest on it. So you may have just pretty much given the developer an interest-free loan for fifty or hundred thousand dollars for a period of two to three years, and then you just get that fifty to hundred thousand dollars back. So it's not the best situation, especially when the market is on a tear. Um, however, as a new construction buyer, this has got to be a more of a small footnote on something you're considering if you're weighing new or resale. Um, I wouldn't consider it as a major, major concern, especially if you're buying from a developer that's never canceled the project before. Well, that's great to get some insight on that. So great. So for such a long time, as single family detached homes were the most popular property type in Toronto. Then in the last year or so, the condo market has really taken off. What do you attribute the change in buyer preference to? And do you see condos as continuing to be red hot in the coming months and years? Yeah, so this is a good question. And it touches on some things that I've mentioned before with walk score and quality of life. And it's really a larger societal question, right? Uh, one thing I can leave people with is if you hear statistical numbers about the market, go the market as a whole going up or down or single family homes or condos going up or down, it's really a big aggregate number and it's not necessarily indication of what's gonna happen in the future. Because if you had looked at single family homes 20 years ago, you would have said, this is the money maker. This is where everyone's gonna be wanting to live. We need to build suburbs out further and further. But the general shift has been in people's preferences. It's a very marketing, human behavioral, behavioral psychology, purchasing psychology basis of, People's preferences are to be able to be in, an, in a neighborhood where maybe they know their neighbors, they're able to walk around, they have access to parks and green spaces and communal spaces. The general shift has been people are more interested in being involved in communities outside of just their family, taking their kids to parks with other families' kids, um, being able to walk to restaurants, live theater, stand-up comedy, being involved in a cityscape, people's taste for food has become a little more sophisticated. And in most areas around the world, if you want to have access to those type of things, um, and you don't want to have you don't want to have to drive one to two hours every time you want them, you want a good bowl of Thai food, then you have to live in a downtown area. So it's generally a cultural shift, and then it's also the shift in how we work. Right, the general shift from working in you know big factories that need a lot of land. Um, and living in the suburbs where you can drive to them, to people working in information, the information economy jobs, where people are coming into a downtown area, they're working in you know, a, you know, smaller workspaces and more collaboratively, and they're able to, they need to live closer together. And people have realized that you know, maybe their parents' Canadian dream, American dream of the big house in the suburbs and the big car and just living out there by yourself in your backyard by yourself is not what they actually want for themselves. And because of that, I see that shift continuing. I see younger and the younger generations, you know, people that are now in their teens and early 20s wanting that as well when they grow up. And that makes me think that they are also going to be the next generation of home buyers Right? There's a lot of stats out there that millennials are going to be buying X number of millions of properties in the next 10 years. Um, those people want downtown homes. So the fact is that if people are living in downtown communal areas, uh, I think that they can expect their property values to go up barring any type of major market shift. That's a great point. And um, not everyone is buying condos, though, to live in them. They're also a popular 
option for investors, even foreign investors in a city like Vancouver, for example. So with on, but speaking of Ontario, with Ontario introducing rent control, do you still see as uh, renting out a condo as a good investment? So this is, again, um, it, this is may, going to be mainly be influenced by politics in Ontario. And, you know, as we're recording this podcast, we're just coming up on the 2018 Ontario provincial election um, in which there are different parties vying for to form a government that have very different opinions on this and very different tax. And if rent control goes forward, obviously that's going to be a hit to the you know, investment sector of investing in condos to use as rentals if rent control is a serious issue. And it can also go the other way of uh, another political uh, tact where rent control will not even be an afterthought and there will be zero rent control enacted in the province of Ontario and then rents will continue to increase as they have unfettered. Um, so again, it's it's this point I really want to drive home for any buyers or investors out there that the important thing to look at is not going to be just how prices changed month over month, this March over last March. It's really about the larger ecosystem of people, their preferences, the economy, the environment, and the political system. Um, I think that investors are going to become a smaller part of the market um, in the next few years than they were before foreign buyer taxes were enacted and possibly rent control is enacted. Um, they may be a smaller percentage of condo buyers in the province of Ontario. Uh, but the fact is that investors are just that, they're investors. If the return on investment is good, if they can calculate, they can buy, you know, X per square foot and they can rent out for X per square foot. If they can make their money back in a reasonable amount of time, they'll still invest. So it really just comes down uh, to if the math can beat the market. You certainly want to turn a positive cash flow and, you know, you can't really depend on these 30% year over year price increases. So I think you made some great points there. Great. So the next question, uh, the final question is, when you're buying a condo, it's not likely to be your forever home. What are some factors buyers should look for to help maximize the resale value? And when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking of a parking spot. But beyond the obvious, um, what um, what do you mean? What like factors besides a parking spot do you think they should look for? All right, this is, this is a great question. So generally, I think what people should think of when they're buying a property and they're furnishing it is to be able to maximize the percentage of the future home buying market that would be interested in their property. So like you said, a parking spot. So what I mean by that is that if you don't have a parking spot to sell with your units, you have maybe eliminated, depending on your area, 10 to 60% of the possible market. So right off the bat, when you try to resell it without a parking spot, you now have maybe a quarter, maybe three quarters or half the buyers you would. Um, it's really about making it attractive for everyone. If you have no private outdoor space, you know, there's buyers like me that won't consider any unit regardless of the price uh, if there's no private outdoor space. That's another thing. Uh, the same thing applies to, on one hand, gyms inside the building and other amenities, and also high, how high the maintenance fees are in the building. If they're very high maintenance fees, you have to know that you're going to be selling to a pretty premium slice of the market that can afford, you know, a thousand plus in uh, in monthly maintenance fees to pay for all the beautiful amenities in your building. 
So the, the number one thing I would put yourself in the mind of different types of buyers, right? A small startup family, a university student that's just graduated and got their first job, whatever size of unit you have, think about the type of the different types of people that might be buying it. Maybe new immigrants to Canada that are looking for their first starter condo. They have some money. What are they going to be looking for? And what kind of unit can I buy to meet all of those different segments needs? Those are some great points. So Zach, it's been great having you on the show today. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners and maybe a funny realtor story or two? All right. So um, in terms of the future of the market, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in the technological side of the market of real estate. Obviously, a lot of real estate is kind of stuck in 1981. There's a lot of handshake deals friendship, you know, friendship based selling, uh, everything's based on connection. There's developers that are selling, you know, multi-million dollars of properties, selling a 300 unit condo building at an average price of $700,000 a unit. And they're doing it using a basic Excel sheet, right? They have an Excel sheet in the back room that's tracking everything with no more checks and balances besides just some people looking at it. Um, so my company uh, that I work for, Buzz Buzz Home, has this product, Daypack. Uh, which is enabling developers to do two things. It's like a point of sale system, just like you'd have at a grocery store where you uh, punch a bunch of things in and it spits out a contract. It's automated and everything is you know, funneled to a dashboard. But that enables this new technology where we have launched and we have premiered, which is um, buy now, which is the ability for a buyer to online without having to physically drive to a sales center to be able to buy a unit, sign the contract, put down initial deposits on a unit before seeing it. And the important thing for that, going back to your investor question, is that it opens up you know, markets of investors in you know, East Asia, uh, Europe, all over the world to be able to buy units in Canada without having to have these physical middlemen we've had. Um, and in terms of realtors, uh, you know, realtors get a bad rap I always love quoting quotes from the Simpsons episode where Marge becomes a realtor and it touches on some, you know, some, some stuff that everyone laughs at in the real estate industry, you know, realtors speak of, you know, it's not, it's not tiny, it's cozy. Um, it's not water damaged. It's, you know, waterfront property. <laughs> but the fact is that there are a slate of uh, agents that do well in the business because they are some of the best business professionals I've ever gotten the pleasure to do business with. Um, and you know what? A lot of them that are very good at their job are very talkative, are very boisterous. Um, I've, been on, I've been on the first time having a conversation with agents where I've never met them before. We've never seen each other in person. They might be in a different country, uh, but in a conversation completely unprompted, I've been told that someone lost uh, $100,000 running a certain real estate business and then ran a brokerage and lost $150,000 on that, um, that they're you know, the number one agent in some unknown town in the swamplands around Orlando, and that I, they didn't think I was giving them enough respect for being you know, the number one uh, agent in this small town no one's heard of. <laughs> there is some, you know, there's some big personalities up, out there, and some of them are well-deserved, and most of them are the fact that, you know, agents, it's kind of an inside joke that, you know, every agent drives a BMW and most of them have paid off zero dollars of it. Um, 
So I hope that, you know, everyone is able to find, you know, the right people they need in the industry because as much heat and as much criticism as the real estate industry gets, there are large swaths of the industry of really good people that really are concerned with uh, finding people their right home, building people homes that they're going to love and really doing right by their clients. And in the end, those are the people that really stick around. And those are the people that really, you know, are able to retire knowing that they, uh, in their career, they improve people's lives. Great. It's wonderful to end the show on a high note. So thanks so much for being on the show, Zach. It was a pleasure to have you. Thank you very much, Sean. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast. Besides being a podcast host and money coach, I'm also a licensed mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, coworkers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. You can reach me by email at seancooperwriter at gmail.com or you can call or text me at 647-867-3711. Also, be sure to head on over to www.seancooperwriter.com and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. You can also sign up for a free one-on-one 15-minute money coaching consultation with yours truly. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you burn your mortgage sooner too. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning.